Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. It will joy and comfort give you. Take it then where you go. Precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. Precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. Take the name of Jesus ever as a shield from every snare if temptations round you gather breathe that holy name in prayer precious name oh how sweet hope of earth and joy of heaven precious name oh how sweet hope of earth and joy of heaven last verse at the name of jesus bowing falling prostrate at his feet king of kings in heaven will crown him when our journey is complete precious name oh how sweet hope of earth and joy of heaven precious name oh how sweet hope of earth and joy of heaven amen you may be seated tonight we got miss ruby I'm going to come up and sing a couple for us, so you pray for her tonight as she comes along.
Thank you, Ruby. It was absolutely wonderful. Thank you for both those songs. Uh, they're great. Uh, that first one is, I love that song so much. And uh, if you went to see David at Sight and Sound, that's kind of David's song there from Psalm 23 that he keeps singing. Uh, that was a while there. That was on repeat all the time in my car. Uh, boy, I enjoy that one. Thank you, Ruby. I especially like that last line, I am after your heart. Uh, the Lord does. He wants us to serve him with our whole heart. Uh, he will go to great lengths to get our heart. I'm thankful for that. Turn with me, if you would, to Obadiah. You can go to the first chapter. Amen. It's the only chapter. Go. Now you got it. Obadiah, chapter number one. We're going to read verses 8, 9, and 10. 21 verses in the book of Obadiah. And uh, I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to just preach one message out of the book of Obadiah. Not going to come back to it. There is a lot that could be said, different things, but we want to keep a big picture on what we're doing. And so we'll do that tonight. And uh, I know that the Lord will help us as we do that. Obadiah chapter 1, verse number 8. Stand with me if you would. Verse number 8. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the mount of Esau? And the mighty men, O Heman, shall be dismayed to the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For the violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, thou shalt be cut off forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open up the word of God this evening. We pray that you would just uh, use it in a mighty way. Dear Lord, uh, you know what's on my heart, dear God, and you know we want to open up the word of God and hear what you have for us to say. Dear Lord, I know that there's a lot of things that that we look at and we, we have ideas of how it would fit, but we are very interested in what your word is saying to us and what you would have us to do with that word. Uh, dear Lord, we've, uh, we've uh, prepared over this and we've prayed over this. And dear Lord, we've said, uh, help us to, to rightly divide it. And so tonight we do ask that. Dear God, as we come to your word, we see again, dear God, that uh, there is condemnation, there's a lot that's going on, but dear God, it does. It speaks uh, into our hearts, and so tonight we're asking once again that we would not look around, but we would look in, and we would say, God, what do you have for me tonight? What do you have for me in your house? So God, help us to 
uh, be humble and to look at your word tonight as we need it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So uh, I went right in the middle of the book as I gave you a few verses that we read there. The reason that I went into those is that you see uh, that we have here uh, the country of Edom or the people of Esau, and we also see that the violence that's done against thy brother Jacob. So basically you can kind of boil the whole book of Obadiah down uh, to a very simple thing. This is Obadiah who we do not have a lot of information about. You can study some uh, other uh, uh, literature from the day and you're going to learn some things about Obadiah which are very interesting and very good. Uh, and they're great, that's fine, but that's not necessarily important to what we have. But Obadiah is commissioned with speaking against the country of Edom or the kingdom of Edom, which would have been just to the south and a little bit to the east of Judah, right across the Dead Sea and down there. Speaking specifically to them because of the fact that when the children of Israel are carried away into bondage and are carried away by all of this, that not only do they not help and do they not provide any aid for them, but they find themselves accomplice, uh, uh, helping out uh, and just as much a part of all that's going on in the judgment that's befalling Israel because of their wickedness and they are not stopping them. And because of that, Obadiah reads and brings this entire, um, well, 21 verses, of his judgment against them, the Lord's judgment, not just his. Now there's a lot of things about this that I find interesting, and there you have the overview, the narrative, as it were, of just those few things. Again, he speaks of the restoration. He also speaks of the restoration of all nations in the book of Obadiah, understanding that God is merciful not just to the children of Israel, but to all nations as well, and that's a good thing. His uh, picture of restoration is very similar to so many of the others, that God again will, from Jerusalem, uh, perform his kingdom uh, and make sure that in that place God will rule and will reign, and through the nation of Israel he will make that happen, and all of the nations of the world will be blessed. But I do think it's very interesting, and I absolutely had to introduce or introduce the passage of scripture and all of that with this is that once again it matters what you do to Israel you get that one once again here we are and I know it sounds like a broken record but there's a reason that the Bible keeps stating that and there's a reason that just for the country of Edom this little bitty nation that's on the other side who have for their violence against thy brother Jacob, for what you have done in this place is all of this calamity and all of this destruction that is going to befall you. So I have to say, we have to remember and we have to call to our remembrance that it matters what you do with Israel. They are God's chosen people. I'm not sure if you kind of keep up with any current events, I do, much to my own dismay sometimes. I try not to bring any of that into the pulpit, and I'm not going to do that tonight except to say that there is often anti-Semitic 
sentiments that find our way into even our culture where nobody wants to be racist. That's like the worst thing that you can be nowadays, but still somehow it can seem okay to be anti-Semitic about certain things. I just want to say that we better be very careful about what we say and how we treat and how we act towards God's chosen people. As I have gone through the minor prophets, I have thought to myself, I don't think that there's any room to even joke about this when it comes to God's people. <laughs> they are God's chosen people. And he is over and over again in the word of God, uh, bringing judgment to those that bring slight or bring anything like that to God's people. Now, saying all that as a matter of introduction, I want to give you a little bit of what is going on and how Edom would fall in this and why it's important that in verses 8, 9, and 10, he uses the, the names of Edom. He also uses the Mount of Esau. And then also he says, against thy brother Jacob. So he's calling into remembrance for all of those that will understand that Jacob had a brother and his name was Esau. We all remember that. These are two brothers that are at odds with each other. Edom is the country whose descendants are directly that of Esau. And because of this, you have strife that is already there between these two. Jacob, you remember, as a matter of fact, not only are they brothers, but they're twin brothers. You remember that, right? And the Bible says that when Jacob and Esau were born, that Esau came out first, making him the elder brother. But the Bible says that Jacob was holding his heel as he came out, as it were trying to pull him back to get ahead of his brother. But he could not. And as a matter of fact, even to that day, in the Hebrew language, holding his heel is an idiom for someone who is deceitful and also holds together with Jacob's name. Now, if you're in my Sunday school class, some of them are here, they know that I love idioms, all right? I do. I think they're great. I think that's a great way to talk about things, and, uh, and I, I especially find them interesting when you get into other areas and you might not be used to theirs. And you know what I mean when I use those, right? Uh, and so they're just something that doesn't mean what it sounds like, but it lets us know what we're all talking about. And we're familiar with those. But the Hebrew language is full of those. As a matter of fact, somebody sent me an amazing article about that not long ago about boiling uh, baby goats in their own milk. It's a bad idea. It's a, it's a law in the book of Deuteronomy, right? Anyway. We're going to get way off track if we're not careful. So don't worry. But some people think that's an idiom as well. But the Hebrew language is full of them, and they're amazing, and it's important to sometimes get the context. But here we see that Jacob, from the very beginning, is trying to catch Esau and trying to get a leg up, as it were, and hold him back. We understand that later that Esau is, is, sells his birthright to Jacob. For, for some pottage and some soup. And it wasn't too long ago that we covered that passage of Scripture as we were going through some of the New Testament. Then we know later on, in the biggest deceit of all of it, 
that Jacob tricks his father that he is Esau so that he can receive the blessing from his father, that firstborn, that blessing that he's looking for. And when he does that, Esau uh, is pretty mad and he sets out to kill him and it's years. So I'm saying all that to just put it this way. There's some bad blood, right? Between Jacob and Esau. You need to remember that as we move on through this passage of Scripture. There's some bad blood between Jacob and Esau. As we go down through this, we find that Jacob, his name is changed to Israel, and he becomes the father of the nation of Israel, that they are called by that name, even to this day that we call his people the children of Israel. God's people are that, and now they're making their way back to their homeland of Israel. And the word Israel means God prevails. Esau is slidden down and it comes to the word that is Edom that we see here. They are the Edomites. And it is a word that is closely related again in Hebrew to the word Adam. And it would mean humanity and all that has to do with humanity. That again is important for us to put that in our mind as we move through this. God prevails and then also all of humanity that are there. And so, here's what we're going to look at. We have a bad relationship here. A relationship that doesn't work well. A relationship between a, two brothers that should work well, but for whatever reason, it doesn't. And unfortunately, why are so many relationships bad? And why are so many of them gone wrong? Well, he gives us the answer in this chapter and he speaks of it very rough, and that is pride. Look at verse number three, if you would, with me. Here is what Obadiah says to the children of Edom. He says, the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. You want to just stop with that one right there, okay? And if I needed to, and if it was what the Lord had put on my heart tonight, you could just spend a lot of time thinking about that right there. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Why is it so difficult for us in our human nature to overcome pride? Why is it so difficult for us to deal with pride? Because inside of our pride, we are deceiving ourselves about who we really are. That's what makes it so tough. Our eyes are blinded. And it doesn't seem like it doesn't matter what anybody tells us. We cannot see past our own ways, our own pride, and what we are. What we have decided who we are is who we are, no matter what anybody else says. And the children of Edom have deceived themselves. Like I said, you could go on and you could preach using all kinds of passages of Scripture to deal with that one. Maybe you just need to go home and dwell on that one for a while and meditate on it. But let's keep reading. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? This is a wonderful thing that the word of God is so amazing. The Edomites literally lived up in the mountains. They literally made their houses inside of the uh, cleft of the rocks and inside of that. And they literally lived in high places. And what Obadiah is saying is, listen, that's not just where you live. That's what you think of yourself. You have a high opinion of yourself. 
You think that who in the world could ever bring us down from this high and lofty place that we live? Verse number four. Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. He says, listen, you will be brought down, and even though you think you've got it all figured out, it's not. But here we see that it is this sin of pride, and it's this sin of, of where they are that brings us to a place that it ruins relationships. Now, all I want to do tonight, and I know that to get to the meat of the message, that was a few things. I wanted to bring those things out, and what I want to do tonight is look at verses 11, 12, 13, and 14, which are at the heart of this message, and which speak about what is the sin that Obadiah lays at their feet. This is what he says. These are the issues that I have with you against the nation of Israel, considering what you have done in the fact that while they were being uh, 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 tormented, while they were being brought out into captivity, this is what you did, this is how you reacted, and considering that and considering the relationship that should be there between them and the pride that was in their heart, this is how it caused them to react and this is what it caused them to do. Now there is tons of things that we could go in places that we could go. But I want us to, for a little bit here tonight, consider ourselves and to consider, as I said, as it points into us and the relationships that we have with people in our church, with people who are lost outside of the church as they go on and go forth and think about how they work and what they look like and think, is this sin something that's touching me? Is there things that I'm guilty of in this? Now, I want you to notice this. Neither party that is being described here is without sin. Israel is in the midst of being punished for their sin. You got that right? So I don't want you to get this wrong. Edom is not being persecuted or judgment brought on them because they are, are, are doing something against God's holy people and his holy people are perfect. No. Nobody's perfect. You got that? There you go. See, what we like to do a lot of times, and here's the only reason I'm pointing this out, is we like to justify what we're doing because of the other person's sin, right? Come on now. Are you with me tonight? Is it a really bad Wednesday night? Am I just talking too fast and you lost me at Esau and the heel and the idioms and it was gone then? Or are you with me? Man, thank you. Appreciate that. So, now I done lost my train of thought. Amen? No, I got it. Let's be real, right? And let's just remember that, that so many times we look across and we want to justify our sin that we perpetrate on other people because, well, you know what they did. It doesn't matter what they did. They are not the standard. God is not going, he is not punishing the Edomites because God's people are holy. Okay? Now listen at this. This is important. He's punishing the Edomites because they're his people. You got that? Not because they're perfect. And you know what? We forget about the dignity of humanity in the world around us. Do we not? The man, the woman, the boy, or the girl, they are made in God's image just like us. 
And how we dare, how dare we profane God's image that's been set in them as we treat them wickedly and evil. It doesn't matter what they've done. It's not that you're sinning against them. You're sinning against God. It's really about the only way you can sin. You're not going to sin against me. I'm wicked. I'm paying for my own sin. I got enough to do. So let's remember that, that we're all guilty here as we come to this. Neither one of them is, has, has any, any room. So let's look at this, though, as they put this. And I got to jump into this so that we make sure we get done. Verse number 11. Let's look at the sins that he calls the country of Edom, the nation, the kingdom, whatever you want to call it, that he calls them out for. Verse number 11. In the day thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces and foreigners, entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast one of them. First thing that he says is they stood by and didn't do anything, and they were also a party. In other words, you were, you were right there with them. You stood by and you did nothing, and then you came to help them as they brought the city of Jerusalem down to its knees. So I want us to think about this. We can't stand by while evil is being done around us. We can't. We can't. Church, we can't just look around and do nothing, right? We got to do something. We can't just shake our head and say how bad it is. We have to do something. Now, here's the big thing. I get it. And I wrote these questions down because I could already see them coming. What are we going to do, right? We can't do nothing because doing nothing is a sin. For him to know to do good and to do it is not to him, it is sin, right? understand that passage of scripture is pretty easy so we see around us that there are those and you can use this application here of those that are profaning God's people or profaning God's name or however you want to put it but for us to stand by and do nothing is not an option now the only thing that I put in here as I'm outlining this thing out and putting it is whatever you do it needs to be real you might say, well, Mike, that doesn't make any sense. Of course it needs to. I say that to say this. It feels like sometimes inside of Christianity and what we do, we're really good at doing things that look good, but are they really making a difference in the lives of people? Are they really proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ in the correct way? Or really, most of the time, unfortunately, it seems like they're propagating our own name more than they are Jesus Christ's name. And what we need to be concerned about is what is it that shines the light of Jesus Christ into a lost and dying world? How can we be the body of Christ? And again, I think we have to go back to the very basics and we have to go back and say, what did Christ do? This is one reason, okay, that I believe our church and we're thankful for the fact that we are involved in medical missions. You might say, well, the gospel is the most important. It is. You're right. We're not arguing that fact. But how are you going to get the gospel to that people? How are they going to hear? You've heard us say it a hundred times. It's really hard for them to listen to the gospel message when their stomach is grumbling, right? So for that reason, we feed them. We help them. 
We bring them to a place where we have physically met their needs and now we want to bring the spiritual need that they need most of all right in front of their face as well. But don't you see as well that that speaks to the, to the love of Christ that is in us if we're willing to do that? And you might say, well, Mike, you know, we go out and we help those and there's so many that reject it. Jesus did too, right? He fed 5,000 people one day and I don't think they all got saved, okay? As a matter of fact, it wasn't too long later that Jesus said the only reason you showed up today was because you wanted some more bread, right? And then Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you're going to have to eat of me. I am the bread of life. And people were like, this don't make no sense. We're done. And that is how it's going to work. You're going to feed people, and a lot of people are just going to take advantage of your goodness. Heaven help us. Does not the world take advantage of the grace and the mercy of God every single day? But yet it's new every morning, is it not? And that one that has spent their life rejecting Christ and living quite contrary to it, if at the moment, as it were, in his final breaths, if he calls upon a Savior in his final breaths, we believe he'll save him, don't we? he's a merciful God we're going to experience the same things as we go out into the world and we try to be a blessing and we try to do things that really help there's going to be tons that will take advantage please don't let that stop us let us do something that is real that speaks to the love of Jesus Christ and speaks of the life of Jesus Christ anyway I got to keep going so they stood by and they were a party to the destruction. I got a bunch. I don't have a bunch of these. I got four of them. Anyway, verse number 12. So they stood by. Number 12. They rejoiced, boasted. Verse number 12. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly the day of their stress. Can we just put it this for what it is? When we are rejoicing over the destruction of people, that's a bad place to be. It doesn't matter who they are. I know that there has been great evils perpetrated against our country and against all kinds of things but it still should be the Christian's desire to see people be saved and reconciled to God. Because it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. We should understand that better than anyone else. When we're dealing with the relationships with the people around us as well, you know, I say this to my basketball team all the time, and it's a, not a great illustration, but it's the one I got. If you're that kid that's sitting on the bench and you can't root for your teammate, even though that might be the position you want to play, but you can't be happy when he does well and you want him to do poorly, you're a bad teammate. You're a bad teammate. And unfortunately, coaching basketball the years that I have, I got a lot of bad teammates on my team. You know what I mean? It is almost impossible for them to have any joy... It's almost impossible to find a team player anymore. Isn't that sad? 
I think that's pretty sad. You know, I remember, and man, I'm getting off on all kinds of stuff, but I remember when I was a kid and I would watch North Carolina basketball, I would see the very last guy on the bench who all he did was hand the towels out to the guy. He never saw the court, and I said, I would want to be that kid right there. I would be okay with that. You would have probably too, Daryl, right? Right? Because we just love the game, and we love the, the teams, and we wanted to be a part of something, and, and, and we could be a team player. But people are so individualistic now, and everything revolves around them so much that they cannot root. They can almost not take it if someone else, they're miserable when someone else is doing well. And the only time they're happy is when others are doing poorly. You're full of pride if that's your attitude. You're full of pride. Anyway, i got to keep going. They rejoiced. Not only did they rejoice, but they gloated in it. They gloated. Can we just say that there's plenty of scripture here that we could go to and say, you know what? It's none of your business. Don't be a gossip. Amen? Folks in the church are going to have struggles. They're going to have trials. We should never gloat in someone else's misfortune. It's not a topic for us to talk about over dinner. It's something that we should go quietly and private, pray with them, help them as they go through it. If it comes to you and you, it's your opportunity to be a blessing and pray for those people, that does not mean that it's time for us to gloat. Oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Absolutely not. God's people should have way more discretion than that. Anyway, I got to keep going. Verse number 13. Verse number 13, thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. What's he saying? He's saying, you took of the spoils. You benefited from their calamity. Wow. That's a tough place to be, too. Are there those that you're rooting against that you're hoping they'll fail because you know it'll bring your benefit? Because it'll put you in a different place? It'll, it'll who knows what it will make you feel better? I don't know. But they gained from the fall of those. If you have to, listen, if you have to destroy others to promote yourself, you are not in a good place goes along with criticism, that goes along with anything else that would need to fly at someone so that you in turn would look better. There's no place for that in the house of God. No place for that. I got to keep moving. Verse number 14. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. Notice that at the beginning of verse 10. They literally, there were some that were going to escape. There was, there was some that were going to get out. But you stood in their way. There was some that were going to get out. That were going to make sure that they were going to be saved from all this calamity that was befallen. But you stood in the way and made sure made sure that their ruin came. 
when we sabotage the help that other people are getting, we're in a bad place. I'll tell you what, we've been blessed, amen, to see some folks coming in and getting some help in the house of God. And I say this evening, do not sabotage what God is doing in their life. I understand that there's important things and we've got standards and all of those things are so important. But as these little babies in Christ are growing, let's not sabotage them as they escape the world uh, and are breaking patterns of all kinds of things. Let's make sure that not only do we not sabotage, but we light the way that leads to everlasting life. Amen? That we be beacons along that way. Let's not sabotage them as they go along. i got to say this as we close it out because it has to do with all of that. For the country of Edom, the one that thought that they were making the right deal, the one that thought that they were doing the right thing, I want you to go back to verse number 7. All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat the, thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding. He said, Edom, you made all these packs with Babylon. You did all this stuff because you thought it would work out better for you to go on the side of Babylon than on the side of God. And just trust me, if you wanted to preach that message, it would preach all day long. Prophetically speaking, we know what Babylon is. It is the age of this world, the day of this world. You thought it would be better to make a deal with them and go against God's people, but they have deceived you. And all of this wickedness that you have done, all of this deception that you have done against God and against God's people because you thought that Babylon was stronger than God, you're wrong, Edom. You're wrong. You will be utterly Verse number 15. I keep saying I'm going to be done. I promise. Being a good Baptist. Verse number 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy rewards shall return upon thine own head. With what measure you have dealt, you will be dealt with. That's a dangerous place to be, is it not? I don't want the Lord to deal with me according to me. There's only one way that that happens. That's for those of us that put our faith and trust in Jesus. When we go into the New Testament, we see that Jesus uses some very similar words in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, he says, Judge not, what? Lest thee be judged. People take that out of context all the time. Judge not, lest thee be judged. He says, For the what manner you judge your neighbor, the same you will be judged. We have an understanding there. We also understand that Jesus Christ said in the Lord's Prayer, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. That one's heavy too. Man, my heart oftentimes is 
so negative towards, let's just face it, people, humanity, all that's going on. I don't want to be that. I'm so thankful that through the revealed word of God, we see that Jesus Christ places upon us a robe of righteousness. That Jesus Christ comes and he doesn't judge us that way because those that are in him are judged by his righteousness, not by ours. By what I've done. That's the only way to find it. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We see in there a few things. What a big, powerful book. Do we stand by while evil goes on? Do we rejoice in the evil of others? Do we look to gain from the fall of others? Do we sabotage the escape Oh, my friend, let not pride rule in our heart, but let us humble ourselves, even as Christ humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Oh, what a servant we have in Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to open up the word of God and preach it this evening. Bless your word. Use your word. Help us this evening, we pray. Your wonderful and holy name we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That he would give his only son. To make a wretch his treasure.